Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Hello and welcome to Arn. This is Paul Bromwell and today I'm joined by the Hall of Famer, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the creator of the Spinebuster, the 1A Tag Team Wrestling our TV champion, my tag team partner, he's Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you this week, my friend? Whew, I'm cold. That jacket that's over your right shoulder, I just took off the matching one. Man, it's it's cold here. Is it cold there? It is cold, man. It's like, uh, I think the high today was 41 with temperatures continuing to drop. We're probably going to get some snow up this way. Probably get down in the 20s, right? Oh, man, it's no fun. It doesn't get that cold in Charlotte, does it? Very rarely, yeah. very rarely, but it gets, yeah. you know, it, it's a crazy thing cause it's so humid here when it gets cold, it's a damp, damp cold. So it chills you a little yeah. more. But you guys, do you see much snow at all? Is it, is it a rarity when you see, okay. Zero. See that that's perfect. You, you really live in a nice area. That's weather wise. That's yeah. why I'm still here, bud. I know. Just got to get a better football team. You had to go there. <laughs> you had oh, to go there. Man. By the time this drops, we'll know who have made the NFL playoffs. We'll know who have won the college championship. You and I, obviously, we do this a little earlier, so we don't know. But uh, Carolina, man, not having that first-round pick next year kind of stinks. But Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I don't want to just sit here and denigrate the guys. It's pretty clear. I mean, I can't, I'm not talented enough to play pro football, so I won't just stomp them every chance I get. We're just such huge fans. It breaks our hearts. I understand. To it's see tough. them not do well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you definitely want to cheer a winner, at least someone who's going to, you think, give a shot every year, making the playoffs or something. But I, I, I totally hear you. But you know what? We'll see what happens. You, you, you stay faithful to them their owner by the way did you see where he like threw a drink out of the skybox at somebody did you see that david tepper yeah i'm pretty sure that's 
that's not acceptable when you own an NFL team, is it? No, I don't know what he's losing his mind. And he flipped a drink outside of his box. And then at the end of the clip, I saw some, one of the fans starting to climb up and I'm like, what is going on down there? Oh, something man. that's going to end up in a lawsuit. I'm sure Yeah, it's ugly. Well, let me tell you, let's talk about something that's not ugly and something that I do enjoy and I'm excited about. And that was last week's episode on Jerry Briscoe. We talked a little bit at glory days and some of the old territory wrestling times talked about only, but really what was the highlight of last week's episode was that surprise announcement that you're in the national wrestling hall of fame, the class of 2024, Quite the honor, and as I said at the end of last week's show, I can't think of you know anyone more deserving than you are to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Congratulations once again, my friend. Well, thanks, and let me just say you set me up because you you got a hold of me a couple days, well, like a day before you sent me a message. We're going to have Jerry on the Jerry Briscoe on the show. You cool with that? And I went, well, of course. But it, I thought, well, I mean. There was really no setup for this. This was like. I had to play it as smooth as possible. I waited for you to say, hey, when are we taping? And you did. And I'm great with it. It just was one of those things that's, I mean, he fits on any show he's on. You know, he's legendary. You know, he's got stories up the Yazoo. But it just was, just kind of came out of nowhere. But I just, well, okay, great. We don't have guests very often. That'll make it really special. And that's why I thought, man, he may just poke a little bit more to be like, oh, something happened or that's, you know, not that it's not, obviously I knew you would think it's great, but I thought you might poke. You didn't poke at all. And so I was like, cool. Cause now I'm really going to be vague. I just said, we'll talk about old territory time and catch up. And you're like, all right, great. And I'm like, man, that was easier than I thought. I can't wait for this. I'm easy, right? Yeah. It's supposed you're to be easy. Cake. Piece of cake, man. And uh, when we, when he started talking, did you know it as soon as he started talking or was it the, or at what point were you like, something's happening here? Not, not really. I just thought it was going to be just a bullshit session, which I'm good at, which I can handle that. That's easy. Once he started talking about the award though. And then that video, that video was a home run. Uh, Got a little emotional while that was playing because it just. That like was said, the goal. I'm not used to being honored like that in that, so happy that capacity. You. So for everybody, you too, buddy, especially you, mm. thank you very, very much for everybody that had a part in it. And I will, yeah. uh, I will uh, treasure this for the rest of me days. Yeah. And Aaron and Brock can celebrate with you and, uh, you know, by now you've all gotten to see the video together. And so, uh, just really excited about that. And, uh, so well done. And again, shout out to Chris McDonald for all your hard work and effort with that. But, uh, man, before we jump in, we're going to finally get back to our regularly scheduled programming. As I said last week, we're going to pick things up with March 94. Before we do that, Arn, you mentioned the jacket, the horseman jacket. We got to talk about boxgimmicks.com. That's the easiest way for everybody to find your merch, whether it's the horseman store or the orange store, they got it all, and everything is back in stock. All the best sellers. The horseman shirt, the uh, enforcing shirt that created by JD Hoop, the shirt, the sweatshirt that I'm wearing now, and the t-shirt design. Uh, old uh, Miss Amy uh, was just telling me the uh, she was saying, man, 
Paul, I wish after I saw your hoodie that I would have grabbed the hoodie. I said, guess what, Amy? You can still grab the hoodie. It's not uh-huh. too late. The white, the white you got the t-shirt. I really like the white and black one. Yeah. JD mean, that, had yeah. Uh, that's that's cool. You know, that's that, a sharp that looks good too. That. Yeah. I like the Carolina blue. I'm 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 a fan of of Carolina blue colors. And uh, but yeah, flying off the shelves, he's done a great job. And then the centerpiece of the collection has to be the horseman hats and the jackets. I'm rocking mine every episode. The hat we got it right here behind my shoulder. And then, uh, man, that classic bomber style jacket with the embroidery top notch, Arn. Um, you've not seen anything like it in your day except the original. And yes. so it's available for everyone right now in your store. And hey, there's a lot of winter left, guys, depending on where you live. So not too late. Get your orders in. What I love is they're true to size. The design is on point. And there, and that was really the thing for us when we were trying to find a vendor is someone that made them true to size. And because uh, yeah. that was a problem the first go around. Not anymore. No, they, these will fit well. And they can't miss for any Arn fan or collector. So check them out. You can uh, take it off, wad it up. Put it in a bag, pull it out. Perfect. <laughs> Check it out. Go to arnlinks.com and then you can buy the jacket, wad it up, put it in the bag yourself, carry it wherever you want to go and put it on. And uh, we appreciate all your support. Arnlinks.com or boxagemics.com will get you there too. And uh, we mentioned last week at the end of the episode about your uh, book, Arn Anderson, My Life is Wrestling's Enforcer, and that Dirk Manning had shared. Uh, an update. The project had some delays, some hiccups, but man, it is on track now. We appreciate everybody's patience and understanding, but buddy, this is a heck of a way to kick off the new year with your graphic novel. I saw uh, a picture that was sent out and it's going to be sent out and it was the Trans Am picture. You, mm. uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. There was yeah, yeah. DiBiase's Trans Am, and I'm like, they got a picture of the Trans Am in there. That popped me because that's one of my favorite muscle cars. I can't oh. wait to see what the rest of it looks like. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, it's the Smokey and the Bandit Black TA. That's what, that's what uh, DiBiase had. What do you think? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He just had me drive so he could sleep. Nice. Little did he know I was sitting there cheesing like you wouldn't believe going down the highway, <laughs> roll the window down. So everybody saw me. Oh yeah. Oh you yeah. Know, oh hell yes. Did he have the T tops and everything? Yeah. The tops out everything. No, not the tops out, but yes, okay. he had them. I mean, it was the black smoky in the bind at Trans Am. Oh, so cool. So cool. It's in there. Illustrated looks great. And so much other, uh, so many great stories of Arn and his career. Can't wait for you all to check it out. But, uh, buddy, let's get into it. Let's get into March 1994. It's been three weeks since we last recorded. So as a reminder, uh, I thought I'd bring you up to speed on what we talked about last. We watched that crazy ending to the Flair and Vader feud over the world title. Remember that Thunder Cage match? Yes. Okay. And uh, we saw Rick Rude and Sting escalate their issue following that match. You wrestled his lordship, Stephen Regal, that night in a 30-minute match for the television title. And this is where I want to make a little bit of an announcement, Arn. I was just telling you about this. But uh, some of you are going to be happy, and some of you are not going to be thrilled. We really don't have a choice. We have to make a format change here on the show where we are not allowed, I'll just say this, to use video clips on the show anymore. Um, And so we'll just leave it at that. It is what it is, but Arn, the good news is we still have a lot of stories to tell 
uh, regarding your career. And we're going to do our best. We're going to start referencing some televised wrestling and the pay-per-view events, but we're going to lean into some other sources that were available for, for wrestling at this time, including magazines, newsletters, uh, because that's what we have. We have that at our disposal with not having those clips. Now, listen, Arn, I've heard feedback over from fee- people over the time of the show. They were like, oh, you play too many clips. So we've just made some of the audience happy uh, that don't have to sit there and listen through the clips. And then others who like to watch it on YouTube, maybe not as thrilled. But we're going to deal with the hand that was dealt us and make the best of it. And we're still going to enjoy the show and have a good time with it. How's that sound? We're not going to fight City Hall because that's not the intention of this podcast. We will make it as entertaining as we can for you. There you go. So we'll do that. And we're going to get started uh, with this month's show, March 1994. And I'd like to begin our coverage this week, Arm, by sharing some of what was written in the February 28th, 1994 edition of The Observer about the Super Brawl pay-per-view event itself. Uh, according to The Observer poll, Arn, the best match of the night was the six-man Thunder Cage match that featured Rick Rude, Stone Cold at the time. He was a stunning Steve Austin and Paul Lorndorf. They took on Dustin Rhodes, Brian Pillman, and the franchise Sting. But interestingly, what I wanted to talk to you about, your match with Regal received votes for being the best and the worst match (laughs) on the card. And this is what Dave Meltzer had to say about it. Steve Regal pinned Arn Anderson in 27 minutes and 32 seconds to keep the TV title when Anderson went for a sunset flip Regal grabbed Sir William's umbrella and sat on Arn for the pin. Way too long. They shaved time, so it was announced as being six seconds before the 30-minute time limit expired this pin, and before the time limit expired, that this pin actually took place. Dave Meltzer gave it a half-star rating. Um, before we get into his assessment, Arn, so many wrestling fans make a, a big deal about what Meltzer writes, whether they agree with it or not. He is, however, a historian for the wrestling business and that he does report the events that take place inside pro wrestling. And he's done it since the 80s. And uh, his write-up is simply that. It's his opinion. So I want to ask you, I'm certain we have not spoke about this in all the time that me and you have been together doing the show. What do you think about wrestling journalism in general? Is, Is there a place for reporters, do you think, in wrestling? They all have a right to their opinion. Everybody should have an opinion if you're watching it. And if it's a negative thing for me, then I'm just not their cup of tea. Uh, Regal and I had a match that would appeal to amateurs, guys that can see what's going on and understand it. Uh, It would have been different from every match on the card the pacing would have been a lot slower than what a lot of people like. Uh, I've often said I don't can't do a whole lot, so I don't do a lot. But what I do do, I try to do well. That would have been what would have been going on as well as, you know, William Regal is I highly regard as being a hugely talented wrestler. He could have a match with himself in an empty building. And it would be for those of us that appreciate what he does, it would still be entertaining. So that's cool. If Meltzer thought it was, I'm sure he thought it was not so high impact, not a lot of stuff out on the floor, not a lot of excitement. 
it would not appeal to him. And he's always had the right to his opinion. It's not going to affect what I do or how I see the business. I want to ask, did you ever have an issue with the dirt sheets at all in your career that you can recall or that you can remember just thinking back to your time in wrestling? I very seldom ever saw one. Okay. I just, I mean, like I said, I had, I had my routine. I had the storyline from television. I knew what I had to do and it wasn't going to change anything. If I, if I'm getting a, a high hard one from some of the, uh, you know, writers. The other nice thing too, aren't when you wrestled and this is a big deal, especially nowadays, you didn't have to worry about social media. Nope. Don't. And again, all those people, you know, have your own opinion, you know, that this is America. Whatever you think you can say, just have some class about yourself and have some honesty in what you're talking about. Don't just be somebody that goes in and just hates everything and shits all over everything. Because my question is, why do you watch? Why are you watching? Is it something to like, and this is not necessarily your wrestling days, but maybe more as a coach and just working with younger talent in the last several years that you have, is it something too where you've kind of had to help folks with just develop in a thick skin or kind of help because it does bother people you know, as much as they say they won't trust me. I know I, I it'd be even doing a show with you. Uh, you know, there's people that are going to have opinions about everybody's work and how you work and they're vocal. And like you said, unfortunately people are going to tell you the good, the bad and the ugly. And it's, it is what it is. Do you feel, find, feel like that's a major difference in today's wrestling that they're up against a lot more when it comes to, public opinion and do you feel like it's something that you've had to talk to wrestlers about well i hope it would start at the very very top of the company i work for if they don't make a big deal out of it and don't let it be the end all be all because it trickles down if they're not worried about it it makes it a lot easier on the talent to go out and do what they do well but if they feel like the boss and the owners and the bosses and managers, all those guys, if they're paying close attention to it for a young guy trying to learn the business, that would be a tough sell. Yeah. How do yeah. you know what's right? And yeah. instead of doing what the, what the, the, you know, the social media people are calling for, sometimes it's right on boom. They got it. They nailed it. Sometimes it's not, we got to be smart enough as the ones that manage the business to take it with a, with a grain of salt. So your message to talent nowadays is listen, as long as your boss is happy, your coaches are happy, you focus on that and do your job. And people are screaming and screaming loud. Yeah, That should, that's our audience screaming and screaming loud. You can never really go wrong. Arm, we're going to pause and talk about our favorite sponsor. Once again, this week, that's right. It's blue chew time. And they're here to make sure you're delivering that spine buster, putting that spine to the pine every single time the right way and making sure you're prepared to do so. And they have a special offer for the listeners of the Arn Show. Isn't that right, Arn? Arn? Well, guys, Arn's not around right now. I think he's taking care of business, if you know what I mean. And I want to make sure you have the opportunity to take care of business, too. 
Guys, Blue Chew is an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office. We talk about it every single week. No weird conversations. You don't have to wait in line at the pharmacy. And remember the biggest perk and benefit of this. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. So listen, go to bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers. They're just going to ask you a few questions. Make sure you're good. Your health's in order and you can take it. And once they verify that, it's going to be at your door within days. All done online. Very easy. And if you don't like swallowing pills, no big deal. The tablets are chewable. Very easy to consume. So give it a try, guys. Listen, we hear a lot of folks that listen to our show that have reached out to us uh, directly through our show DMs and said, guys, you are spot on with what you've been talking about with Blue Chew. We have a lot of fun with it on the show, but I'm telling you, it takes away the worries, the anxiety, the stress, and helps you perform the way you want to perform, like a Hall of Famer, like Arn Anderson. So there you go. Check it out. BlueChew.com can make sure you're able to perform at your very best every time. You get the opportunity to have fun. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code ARN. That's right. Just those three letters. A-R-N. Check out. You just pay $5 shipping. That's it. BlueChew.com. Promo code ARN to receive your first month free. Once again, go to BlueChew.com for more details and safety info. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Getting back to the uh, match that you had with uh, with uh, Regal here, he, at this point too, Arn, we know that Regal worked a style that at that time was not popularized in the same way that it is now. Today, that style we respect it. We go back and look at it, and are like, man, what a he could wrestle a broomstick for twenty five minutes, and we're all in because I think there's a bigger appreciation for what he did in the ring now than maybe it was new, and I, I don't think the fan, fans were. Or even maybe Meltzer um, appreciated that style of wrestling back then. Well, yeah, because he was the only one doing it. Yeah. And it was, you know, something that you see and went, God, I never saw that before. But guys like me appreciated that because I knew what it took to get there. Maybe the audience was more confused than they were anything else. Yeah, there was no holes in his work. He just criticized it that it was too long. So... You know, maybe the style at that point just wasn't wasn't for him. And also, again, we're acclimating to it as a as an American wrestling audience. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there you go. Well, listen. While Super Brawl was a major event, as far as the wrestling industry was concerned, it was not the most important thing happening. And you and I, I kind of teased this last week, and I was talking about what we're going to talk about this week. It's Hulk Hogan. He was last seen in WWF in June of 93, Arn, losing the title to Yokozuna at the King of the Ring pay-per-view. And the big the rumors are swirling now about him coming to WCW rather than returning to uh, the WWF. Arn, Hulkamania officially begins January 23rd, 1984. As this episode drops on the 13th, we are about a week and a half away from the 40-year anniversary of when Hulk Hogan defeated Darren Sheik. 
Isn't that crazy to think about? 40 years ago, 40 year anniversary. Wow. Yeah. It's got, it's got to make you feel old. It does because I was, well, how old was I? I was six, six years old, five going on six, what, 80, January 84. Yeah. I mean, come on now, 40 years ago. Well, it, it's mind boggling. If you, okay, look at, he beat the Sheik in record time, right? Yeah. Madison Square Garden wins the belt. Hulkamania is born. The next nine years, it's Hogan and WWF. Think I mean, of, the, yeah. think, think of how the business became Hulk Hogan, lunchboxes, ice creams, cartoons, merch, merchandise, cartoons, you name it. How it morphed to where it is now and everything in between. That was real. Vince. I mean, and, and, and honestly, it was Vince. 1984 is such a big year in wrestling. Uh, I was just telling Kevin Sullivan the other day, I watched a, a documentary, a third party documentary done by cultaholic. It's fantastic. And it's going through the early years all the way through. They did a whole series. It's amazing. But 1984, I sat there and watched and I thought, what a transitional year Vince buying the company and then how he took on the territories and started growing his business. And it came with Hawk and then talent he brought in and Oakland and Piper and really grew. And then it just went from there. Everything just continued to explode. And now here we sit, you have AEW, WWE, two nights of WrestleMania, pay-per-views galore, international. It's exploded. Isn't that something? Just the growth. And it really all started back in that early eighties timeframe when territories, when, when Vince had the vision and, and it changed the whole, it changed everything. You know, and I was sitting there for that year, 1984. I was living in Pensacola on the beach. I had met Aaron. I was having the time of my life, but we would watch that show and we would go, holy smokes, what a, what a spectacle. And when it really became something concrete that I could put, I mean, because we're watching it just like wrestling fans. You know, we were living down in Pensacola. We would watch the show. And uh, it's like, okay, you know, I see all the, you know, how everything is morphing and how it's getting more exciting and it's bigger and the, all the uh, the quality, I guess you would just call it, you know, the video packages, just, just everything. Production. Was Production yeah. was at a different level. I mean, it was like when it became real for me is when uh, the Tonga kid who was at that time was down in, in wrestling, Jerry Stubbs and myself with Scott Armstrong and Tommy or Johnny Rich. They were the Rat Pack, and we were wrestling those guys, and he got the call to go to New York, and I've told the story on this show and probably every other show. After he got the call and he went to New York, a couple of weeks went by, and it was either off or Sika, no disrespect, but it came down to the building and uh, in Pensacola, came in the locker room, asked if he could see me in the bathroom. That You knew what that meant, right? Uh, so I was fixing to get killed pretty no. much. Sheesh. I mean, in those days, if somebody said, I need to see you in the bathroom, you're better go in there swinging because you're, yeah, you're getting your ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, somebody has planned this, and here we go. And he called me in. He said, the kid called from, from New York. He's been up there a couple of weeks. I just wanted to thank you. He said, you're one of the guys, you know, responsible for helping him so much. He made $3,000 last week. His weekly check at that time and his position with Continental would have been worth about 500 Oh, man. That's when it became real to me. It was a concrete number. And he's only been up there a couple of weeks. It's not like, I mean, he's first match. That's first match money in those days, you know, opening match money. That's game-changing money. (laughs) That's when it became real to me. I went, holy shit, maybe we better look at this in a, you know, a different way. What does it take to get up there and all this? It it was a boom period. They talk about Dick Ebersole coming in and helping change the production Saturday night's main event, all this, all the things that started to happen so quickly. And I talk about that because, you know, his run comes to an end largely at WrestleMania eight. When he went back to Hollywood, Vince turned to flair, Bret Hart, Yokozuna to carry the title. And let's not forget at this time, the federal government, by the way, charges McMahon with the distribution of steroids. So he's fighting for his company as well as freedom. Bruce and Conrad covered this on episode seven of something to wrestle with, but I lay all this out so we could break some of this down because how big of a deal is it that Hulk Hogan is expressing interest in coming to WCW here in spring of 1994? Well, it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Because I mean, there was, when you've built a company that has exploded like WWF and that's your center point, in your mind, you think there is no way Vince will ever let him leave. It just, he will make it right, whatever that number is. He'll figure it out, right. Yeah, they will work this out because I don't think Hulk will want to leave because that setting only exists with WWF. Do you remember when you personally heard that Hogan was interested in coming to the company? Do you remember anything about this time period? Not sure about it. You weren't I just buying kept it. thinking he was using that as, you know, because a bargaining chip, bargaining chip, it would be. Yes. Yeah. You know, because you well, Ted Turner had the money. It wasn't like he did, you know, it couldn't happen. I was looking at more on the side that Vance would work it out with Hogan. It was just, they're using it as a bargaining chip. Well, we're going to discuss in some, uh, upcoming episodes, but flair was instrumental in bringing Hulk to the company. Do you remember any conversation with Rick concerning him trying to help Bischoff Don Hogan? Well, yeah, cause Rick knew he would work with Hogan. It was, it was going to help the company. It was going to help Rick. Rick could see the, you know, he could see the benefit and working with Hogan as a flagship for WCW and what that would do for business. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that. I, I was still a little skeptical, but yeah, because you got to think too, as a wrestler, you got to go. Uh, it's obviously, it's well, where do we fall in the pecking order? But, Arn, you got to be thinking, man, bigger houses, bigger pay per view buys, but you're under a set contract. So, do you necessarily think about it that way? Or what, what are your thoughts business wise? I was thinking more, I'm not going to, they're not going to go around and start giving guys raises or anything like that. Mm. What I thought about was it's going to strengthen the company going forward for being in business for long years term. to come long-term. I got you. I got you. It's job security. Yeah. 
Well, Meltzer followed the situation and reported on it as early as February 28th, 1994, and he wrote an extensive blurb that uh, I want your thoughts on. Here's the first part. While to the best of our knowledge, no contracts have been officially signed, and those close to Hogan continue to insist no deal has been made, WCW officials are clearly under the impression that not only will a Flair-Hogan match headline the Great American Bash, uh, in July, but they'll, uh, they'll also headline numerous house shows during the summer and that plans were to be made this week for the run with the belief that Hogan would start appearing on television to kick things off in May. Okay. So Hulk does not actually sign with the company until June, but part of this that is so interesting is that WCW wanted the flair Hogan main event from the beginning. Aaron, do you think that's the right call working for that dream match? You know, that, by the way, never took place except on a house show in WWF from 91 to 92. Why do you, do you think that makes sense? Or maybe start them off with a Vader or, you know, maybe warm up to it. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, hindsight being 2020 and we always go there, you know, Monday morning quarterback, don't you want something to build to? Right. What do you think? Yeah, just yeah, because everybody wants to see it, but you got to like let's tell a story to get there. If you walk in the door and you're already in each other's grill, you've already satisfied me a little bit, partially. Yeah. So you looking back now, you would say, "Hey, let's start them with some other other guys for the first few shows, just to get get it going." I'd have one show where he walks out. You know, it, number one, I, Hogan's contract must have ran out with Vince before they got a hold of it. Don't you think something? Don't. Because- oh yeah, he was done. He was done. He had already taken a break. He was doing, I think, trouble. Uh, what is it? Trouble in Paradise, or what was the show in Paradise? I can't even uh, remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the beach show. Yeah. The beach show. We'll call it the beach show. Right. Um, he was already doing stuff like that. And I think that's where Eric really connected with him when he was down doing the shows in, in Florida and thunder in paradise. That's what it is. I knew it would come to my, my brain, but, uh, yeah. And so that's where they really started talking. I want to read this to you, the New York daily news and it's gossip page on February 18th reported <laughs> Hogan would receive something like $1 million per pay-per-view event. Okay. As percentage points on each event's gross, as well as percentage points on each event's gross receipts. It's also reported the first Hogan Flair match is taking place on WCW's huge summer pay-per-view event, which seemingly would mean the Bash show in early July. The million dollars plus points per show figure can be dismissed as hyperbole since most WCW pay-per-view events only gross the company in the $1 to $1.2 million range to begin with. For Hogan to be worth that kind of figure, he'd have to double the current number of buys. Or in other words, on his first show in, uh, to be worth a figure like that, the WCW pay-per-view show would have to do the same number or more buys than the past two WWF shows would have done. The Flair-Hogan matches will do far more business than any other match WCW could put on, either on pay-per-view or at the arenas. But as someone who's worked with Hogan during the height of the golden era, did you think that he had the potential to have that kind of financial impact from the company that Meltzer's talking about here? I'm not sure I got that in depth into my thinking. Yeah. I, I was more thinking that if they had to take a little bit of a haircut because he was making so much that they would just eat that for now 
with the idea that it's going to change the company totally, the perception of the, uh, and they would make it up down the road. I would, that's the only thing that makes any sense, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I agree. It makes sense to me. It, yeah. Here's what you want. Okay. But we're going to have to double what, what the house, you know, the house or the buys from last time, you know, if, if that's the case, I don't know that the expectations could be that that could happen even into having a conversation about it. Yeah. You're going to walk in and double our business right away. Right. Well, then if that's the case, day one, if he doubles the business, damn, he's worth whatever you want, yeah, whatever he wants. And a million bucks if that's the case. One, uh, one more final observation from Meltzer, and then we'll move on to our next topic. He wrote, to sustain that business over a period of time would require both men to put the other over in a fairly clean method at different points in the national exposure matches. Well, there's no doubt, judging from past history, that Flair would cleanly put Hogan over at some point. The reverse can't be said with anything resembling certainty. And it's Hogan putting Flair over cleanly at the beginning, which is the key to the feud's longevity, because it's the one result people don't expect and will make them interested in future matches. Again, Dave Meltzer's point here. That's pretty cut and dry with him. They, the claiming that in order for them to do business with each other and make this work, he would have to do so, and it had to be even with Flair, the wins and losses. And you might not recall this specifically, but uh, do you remember Hulk being difficult to work with in any of your dealings with him? Way far above my... my. Uh, you weren't necessarily dealing with that stuff. Yeah. No, that's what we knew that he had creative liberty. Yeah. And you know he what did that, have creative control. Yeah. You know what creative control means? He does what if he I wants. don't like it. We don't right. do it. Right. Self-explanatory. Would you have ever wanted to have creative control? Oh, hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> Arnold would have been the 16 time television champion. Baby. 37 time television champion. There you go. <laughs> Your fans have questions concerning Hogan and his potential impending arrival to WCW. Brendan Foley is first up. He says, hi, Arn, and thank you for a great podcast. This time period is right before Hulk Hogan debuts with WCW. Where did you imagine Arn Anderson would be a year later? in March of 95 in a WCW led by Hulk Hogan. Thanks again. And to Paul as well. Thank you, Brendan. So if you uh, would have heard the news, Hey, Hogan's coming. Where have you would have seen things a year from then? And what would you think WCW would look like? And where would you be at in that picture? God, uh, hmm. good question. Yeah. Good question. I, I never thought that I would, not be with the company. I felt like I could, I had proven my worth as far as producing every time I was put in a situation. Um, so it wasn't like I had shit the bed at some point and I'm going, Oh gosh, hope that doesn't affect me going forward. I knew that, that Hogan would be smart enough to have some guys because he was going to bring in his crew of guys Beefcake, Nasty Boys, you know, all of his crew, he had to have some guys there to make them mean something as well. I know that was in his thought process. It had to. 
Oh, sure. And and what you did, you would actually see Beefcake and and some of some of those guys come up with them. Brian Harems is up next. Do you feel that WCW was in a lull at this point, just waiting for Hulk Hogan to come in? I don't know if they were waiting for Hogan to come in, but they were waiting for some changes. Because by then you had seen a lot of Sting and a lot of the guys, you know, that that were there had been there for for several years. You had seen them quite a bit, so it. We, it probably needed some a a kick change. In the pants. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you knew Eric too wanted to take it up a notch and go at it with WWF at this point, right? Very aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of made sense for him to start getting aggressive with talent because then it was Hogan. Then who comes in? Macho man. Then it's, then it starts, right? Yep. And these guys were big, huge stars, as big a stars as there had been to that point. You know, up to date, those guys were the biggest stars in the history of the business. Yeah. And when you talk about it at a national or even a global level, Hogan and Savage, I mean, come on. Uh, outside of Flair and a few other guys, they dominated the late 80s. Ultimate Warrior, Hogan, Flair. Uh, so so he was ready to make that splash. We're going to move on from the issue with Hogan because you worked some matches of note in March of 1994 with some different opponents. And one that stood out when we put the research together was Diamond Dallas Page, Arn. We've not spoken about DDP much at this point, but he would not start wrestling until he's 35 years old. And he had an amazing career. He also had been a manager. He's been a color, color commentator at this point before he even turned out to be a wrestler. So... Uh, we're going to talk a lot about DDP as we work our way through Nitro years in the up upcoming shows. But um, I got a few questions for you here first. When did you and Paige originally uh, meet? And what was your first impression of DDP? Well, he was a manager to begin with. That's right. Right. Yeah. And uh, a stud. Remember Scott Hall? Yeah. He, uh, he had some good talent to manage. For sure, Diamond Stud was... You know, the, the one thing that we lacked in is it's like when Vince got a hold of Scott Hall, he immediately turned him into a must-see character. We as WCW as a company had not didn't have the know-how yet to build stars characters. You know, and that was the really the big difference. Vince could build characters and he made them must-see. Uh, that was the one advantage that he really had. And, you know, Paige, you got to look at certain things. Paige was, you know, he wore cowboy boots, you know, out there, and he was already probably 6'3", six, 6'4", six, made him 6'6". Six, six. You got to be careful that he wasn't bigger than the guy he was managing. True. You know, you know but he had that smarmy manager thing that, you know, Diamond Dallas Page. He was a he was a strip club guy. That was the character managing the strip joints. So it was uh, that was the first impression. Not knowing that he would become a wrestler after that. And it's something to say. A guy at thirty five just decides, hey, I want to learn and be a worker. I mean, he committed to it, and I mean, he hit it, hit it big. Well, he made it work. You know, he he hung in there. He worked hard. He had some good guys to work with who, who were willing to, you know, shine him up. And that's what you have. That's what you do in our business. You go out and if that's the guy you're going to go with, I'll make him look like a tree in bucks. Did you like him as a worker? And, and what'd you think of him as a promo yeah. guy? 
got along with him fine, you know. Um, he was just different. He had his own style, you know. Yeah. It, it was not something that that I would say or do, but didn't matter. It wasn't about me. It was about him. He had his own charisma, own a different type of style of charisma for sure. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, Adam Krasnoff has a question about DDP. He wrote Eric Bischoff once said that DDP during his uh, this time came to the ring with too many gimmicks. Would you agree? What are your thoughts on DDP and his character here in 1994? Probably could lose the cigar. Yeah. You know, I don't know how that fit on an entrance, but, and I don't know, whatever else, you know, he had on the sunglasses and the wild outfit and the whole, the whole shooting match. Right? He was loud, man. He was loud. <laughs> yeah, it was over the top, but that's who he was. Arn and I are thrilled to talk to you about Green Chef, the number one meal kit for clean eating and guys and gals there in the business of helping you discover new gut-friendly recipes each week with the ultimate convenience. Green Chef delivers whole food for your whole body, and they're committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to your overall well-being. Let Green Chef take the work out of eating clean with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. This is the stuff the four horsemen were trying to find out on the road all those years, and they simply had to settle for less. Well, not anymore. Arn signed his family up for Green Chef, and I did too. And Arn said to me, Paul, it's the first thing we look forward to after a long day in the gym. So embark on a delicious culinary adventure this year with Green Chef's diverse menu. Each week, you get to choose from 80-plus flavor-packed options, and you can easily customize your meals to suit your lifestyle with preferences like keto, my favorite, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. They have it all, all the options. My family absolutely loves Green Chef. I sat down with them, we looked at the menu, and uh, the boys wanted that chicken Alfredo meal, so we had it last night. They loved it. And what's nice is Green Chef includes all the ingredients, the directions. It's so simple and convenient. We've already placed our next order. It's just delicious. It takes all the guesswork out of it, especially when you have to think about the alternative of heading to the grocery store. So go to greenchef.com slash 60 Anderson. All one word. That's right. 60 Anderson to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. So January, February, that's right. 20% off. What an amazing deal. They are, like I said, the number one meal kit for eating well. So once again, you go to greenchef.com, use code 60 Anderson. You get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. I want to ask you a follow-up question because you've been both wrestler and agent Arn. How difficult can it be for someone new to the wrestling business to find uh, his or her identity? 
Do you have any advice for young talent who's trying to, you know, establish themselves as a character? Sometimes there are things that you do that you don't even realize will benefit you into getting over as a wrestler. Like, you know, what are your, what are your habits? What, what are your, what are your things that you like to do? Do you, Hey, do you, can you play piano? Do you play an instrument? Can you shoot a bow and arrow really, really good? You know, uh, what things are your hobbies that you never even thought might translate into something wrestling fans might like to see? I'd have them research their self, research all the things that they find fun or they like to do, you know, and sometimes there's a million fans out there that like that too. You know, hey, do you ride horses? What do you do in your free time? Do you like dogs? Do you like cats? What you know? What it, it can yeah. be any, anything about you that you can bring to the table that'll humanize you. Right. It will make you relatable. PN News like to rap, apparently. You know. Bad, bad, bad. Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo. There you go. Yeah, we'll leave CN News on the chopping block. <laughs> oh man, Brad stands up next. He asks, Did you ever hang out at DDP's nightclubs back in the day? Never. No. No. He wasn't going anywhere near there, Brad. No. Oh man. He said, While Paige, we'll go on while Paige tried to learn some of the basics and fundamentals by working with you, there were a couple other new additions to the roster that I want to mention here, aren't first one of the most powerful men in pro wrestling is here in WCW. Paul Levesque made his WCW debut in the spring of 94 as Terra Rising. And yes, that really was the name of his character, trained by Killer Kowalski. Levesque would go on to have a Hall of Fame career, capture the world title 14 times, become the head of NXT, and now he's the, the creative mind for the entire company. But here in 94, Arn, he was just starting out and getting his time on television. Man, you talk want to talk about feeling old, but he's working mostly with Terry Taylor. Do you remember meeting Triple H when he was a rookie? Liked him immediately. Huh. He was so respectful. He had his ducks in a row as far as the history of the business, and he was learned. He would you would you could talk to him about any subject matter. But, he, you know, and Rick, same thing, liked him immediately. Let's take that kid with us. And you could tell that he had something, even back then, and you know, and the, the different character, terrorizing. You just, you knew that he had something. And the one thing I figured out pretty quickly, because it didn't take him long to figure out that's a young guy you can build some stuff around. I mean, nobody knew he was going to turn into be Triple H and be the power, power player of the business. But they, you know, we all knew that he had something and he could become part of the crew. But we, I figured out pretty quick, all he talked about was WWF. That's where he was born. He was raised. He worked for Killer Kowalski. He lived in the WWF area, area up there. He would go to shows there. He wanted to go there. And they offered him something. I want to say they offered him like 90 grand and 125 guaranteed for a kid just getting started out and without running a lot of shows at that time, I think that's what they offered him. And I went, Paul, oh, you got to take that, man. 
How do you, how can you not take that? That's pretty good money, you know, to work a couple days a week. He said, yeah, but Arn, I don't want to, he said, I want to go to the WWF. And he was headstrong about that from day one. It was very, very, very clear. That's who he wanted to work for. But you know, one of the things I've always appreciated about him, Arn, is that he also was a fan of Crockett and NWA wrestling. And to me, uh, that has helped give him a different lens for the respect. The fact that he has the dome globe in his office, the championship NWA belt, that's the original it's mounted in his office. And, uh, I love the fact that he has an appreciation for all of you that helped, uh, you know, what you did in the Crockett years. I, I just really, to me, I'm like, okay, he's grounded and just not WWF. He's got that Crockett history too. Watch his matches. Watch his yeah. matches. They would have fit perfectly from 86 to 89. And that's the style that he still, if he was going to go have a match tomorrow, it would be a 1986, 87 match. You know, you don't see him standing on the top rope doing a moonsault out to the floor. Good point. He's a wrestler. He's doing, and we've seen him do a few spine busters in his day too. Damn good ones. And you know, what's another thing that, that, at the time, it kind of floored me. He came up to me after I was working there, after they hired me as an agent, and he said, I'd like to start using the Spine Buster. Do you mind? <laughs> really? Yeah. I said, of course not. I'm, I'm, I'm retired. You're like, here's the blessing, buddy. Go for it. <laughs> he was the first guy that ever asked me. Respectfully. Could, respectfully yeah. to use my wow. move. And he did a damn good one. He still got a good one, I'm sure, if he needed it. Yeah, wow. So cool. Uh, so listen, unlike terrorizing, though, the next arrival of the company, Buck House Buck, portrayed by Jimmy Golden. Awesome. Veteran of the wrestling business, one of the most over-wrestlers of the Continental Territory Arm. Bunk was brought in by Colonel Robert Parker to dispose of Dustin Rhodes. That was the goal. And you had worked with Golden. You just said awesome when the Continental Territory was red hot. But I believe that was when he was a baby face, is it not? Yes, Continental. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it was him and Robert and Ron and Bob were the core of the baby faces for Continental. They were the, all the top and they were there for, God, they were there for probably eight or nine or maybe even 10 years. That's unheard of. That's weekly towns. Now Eight what they ten years. Wow. Well, now how they how they work that magic is like if it was Jimmy and say it was Jimmy and Robert would work for six months or eight months, and then they would take some time off. Bob and uh, and Ron had taken time off while they were working. Then they would switch roles. They would bring those guys aboard. They would work for six or eight months, and then they would switch it back and turn one of them heel. I mean, they were smart. Nobody worked year-round because weekly towns, 54 time, 52 times a year seeing somebody, you know, you might run out of shit to do. Did you like Golden better as a heel or babyface? I loved that bunkhouse bunk character because okay. it was like he would get in the ring and he would do this thing with him. Remember, he would scrunch his face up. Yeah. His teeth disappeared. I couldn't <laughs> figure out where his teeth went. His whole face, when he became Bunkhouse Bunk, just disappeared. He became somebody else. Right. A total it different look. Had a great punch. You know, his work was all solid. 
bumped good. He just a really good performer. And, and, and here we go. Bunkhouse buck. They're going to form the stud stable. And in a few weeks, we're going to discuss how you join the group. Uh, what did you think? Did you like this? The whole building of the reformation here, the stud stable, you having fun with this one or what? I didn't know that if it would be very successful or fail or any of the above or in between, I know that was a great group of guys, but it was like a cowboy gimmick and yeah. it, it would be, they actually wanted me to, which I tried, you know, wear a leather vest and a couple of things, you know, it's, had a very, a, southern, it's very Southern, it's style. a very Southern group, yep. but it, it, it was pivoting off of the angle that we'll talk about on yep. another show. So the launch was okay. I think the launch was good and the angle was good. It was just, I don't know how that I fit in that group. I was, a, in everyone's eyes, I was a horseman. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that more too, but uh, yeah, so this is, this is a fun period, fun guys coming in. Let's finally talk about, as we start to wrap up the show, the tour of Germany. And uh, that takes place in March of 94. Arn, you're not on this tour. That took place after Super Brawl. It's been 30 years. Do you have any idea why you missed this overseas trip? If you don't, it's totally fine. Yeah, my my track record really wasn't too good about overseas trips. Ah, understood, understood. Well, that clear, should be self-explanatory. Where's Crystal? Uh, it's funny. We got some comments. Oh, didn't talk about, oh, all the, all the things from the last overseas tour read between the lines. Didn't want to talk about it. Okay. That's orange choice. So, so yes. there you go. We'll say and I won't that. ever talk about it. There you go. There you go. Well, listen, this tour took place from March 8th to March 20th. It features flair, Vader, rude, regal, Austin, Ricky Steamboat, Harlem heat, and most memorably, Cactus Jack. Fans were treated to a number of great matches as the wrestlers rotated in and out against each other. But Arn, the match that everybody still hears about to this day, it's March 16th. It's in Munich. It's the tour of Germany. It's the semi-main event of the evening. Vader defeats Cactus Jack in the quarterfinals of the European tournament. And as reported by our buddy Richard Land of the history of WWE following the entrances, Cactus takes the mic and cuts a promo on Vader in German. This guy never ceases to amaze me what he can do. Cactus Jack McFoley. I, I don't remember that. Yeah. Well, he, he knows German. Uh, I guess this is also during the match that he loses part of his ear when he went for the hangman spot between the second and third ropes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He came back in the locker room, holding his ear in his he, hand. In his hand. That's that's uh, sickening. He spoke extensively about it that evening, and there are two things that always stand out. First, the spot itself. Arn Cactus was not the first to hang himself between the ropes, but he lost the ear because the ropes were too tight, he says, to, and, and it just did not allow for that spot to be pulled off safely. Do you uh, ever remember the first time you saw that hangman spot in general? Didn't see it very often. It was an occasional maybe seen it once or twice my whole career because it was hard to do that. You had to take a bump over the top yeah, and, and get pull, and pull that second rope up over your head. It was, was not easy. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like a spot that you would have signed up for. No, I don't wait. I'm going to really hang myself. 
I mean, like really. <laughs> this is no. Arn's not going to the oh, top thank rope. Guys, he's not doing a hangman spot. We're we're entertainers. We're right. not gonna. I'm not gonna really hang myself. Yeah. No. Sorry, sorry, Jack. More more power to you, but yeah. No well, thanks. He lived with the consequences the rest of his life. Cactus has stated that WCW did not take advantage of the spot to build a program between him and Vader. Instead, they left him tagging with Max Payne and later Kevin Sullivan, my buddy, uh, against the Nasty Boys. By the way, I want to have you on a Kevin Sullivan show. He always brings you up, and I think it would be fun, the three of us talking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Be, yeah I, lo I love Shorty. Yeah, we'll have fun. But uh, from Cap from Cactus's point of view, this was the perfect reason in his mind to restart a program with him and Vader. Instead, they continued a story with the nasties that have been going since January. And according to Cactus, not capitalizing on the spot was one of the reasons he left the company and went to Japan and ECW. Arn, what do you think about this? Do you think this would have been a good opportunity to run the feud back with him and Vader? Well, we, you know, we got to remember when we, you know, WCW, you weren't allowed to do a lot of stuff and standing out there holding your ear in your hand is a little too more, a little too graphic for what we were allowed to do. Yeah. Remember the juice was a big issue. Bleeding True. was a big issue in the, that period, you know, because of the virus and all that. So they weren't going to use that as a pivot moment. No. All right. As no, a they're not going to exploit something really, really gory. That's why they didn't do the angle. Nick Lenz wants to know uh, if you were shocked to hear, see what I did there, that Mick Foley lost his ear in Germany. I saw it. Yeah. He came, he came back well, yeah, with, but with so it you, in his ear. Yeah, but but I don't think you were on this tour, Arn. He had it when he when he got he brought it back home with him. He brought it. That's where you go. Yeah. I went in the locker room and, and he said, he pulled it out and had it in a little cup. Much, much respect to Mick Foley for what he's done for the business, you know, and the links he's went to, to beat himself half to death. This is that, the same guy that now dresses up as Santa Claus every year and, and takes care of little kids and sends Santa letters. And, and he's always and he, done that. He did that from the very beginning. And he does death matches and loses his ear. I mean, this guy, you talk about the faces of Foley. I've never seen anybody that's so dramatically different from one side of the arena to the other. He's a lot tougher than I am. He's incredible. Uh, we're going to close the show down with some questions from your fans. Drew Landry wants to know if you were ever nervous about overseas trips. You think? They were hard, man. They were hard. There was a lot of travel. There were a lot of 20-hour travel days. Oh, I couldn't imagine. When you include the first, you know, getting to the airport two hours before your first flight, and you know, because you got to check in, you know, internationally, and then you have a eight- or nine-hour leg, and, and you got another layover and then you got another leg and then you got to clear customs on the other side. You probably got to go to the building early if you're not staying in the town. So you got to eat up three or four hours that way, five hours. Then you have like a five or six hour bus trip afterwards. Do the math. Sounds it, terrible. It, it'll kill you. Sometimes that was the first day. And then you're not even talking about what it does to your sleep and jet oh. lag. And oh. your eating schedule, because we like to have a schedule with eating, you know. Well, it's hard to eat healthy like that when you're in airports or on a bus, you know, have enough to eat, 
I'd be a miserable bastard, man. I'd be well, miserable. you did what we did. You drank, you drank yourself to sleep. <laughs> there you go. Alcohol and, and everything else. No wonder these guys turned to what they did. Yeah, of course. I mean, how well, once you've slept all you can sleep on these flights and then airports, and now you're sitting on a bus looking around and there's alcohol available. Yeah. Give me a, give me a glass, baby. Yeah, man. Get, get some, get some of those beers, buddy. Yeah. Steve Levin was paying close attention to you and Regal during his time and has an awesome question. Arn, can you please explain why pro wrestlers used to wipe their feet on the apron before entering the ring? And hardly anyone does that anymore. You're great. I listen to every podcast you do. And I forgot to mention, I pre-ordered your book on Amazon. Really looking forward to it. Steve, thanks so much, man. That's awesome. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Uh, real simple. The guys that understood what, what, what they were doing, it was respect. It was because when you walked to the ring, there was all kind of dirty stuff on the on the floor, on the walkway, on the aisle. When you got up on the apron, still outside the ring, you would wipe your feet off to make sure if you had any dirt or anything on your feet, you were respecting the people that were going to wrestle after you. That's the reason, and it was a respect thing. Hmm. Some some of the veterans knew about it. You know, it's like walking in a locker room that you don't know anybody and you go around and you shake everybody's hand and you introduce yourself. It's just one of those unwritten rules. Clean your feet before you get in the ring. Nowadays, the aisles look a little different. They're like, you know, nice sparkly tarp type things they walk down of when they're coming down a stage. And it's a little different than back in the day when you would walk down on the concrete. Yeah. You got to remember we walked down, there was just concrete floor. A lot of nights. Yeah. Adam Krasnoff wants to know, I want you to tell us about Nick Bockwinkle. What did you think of Nick Bockwinkle in the role of the on-air authority figure during his time? Did you enjoy working with Nick? Nick came across great. I thought, you know, that he had that accent. Not sure what it was. It was Minnesota, obviously. But, you know, I thought he did a good job being that guy. You, you kind of believe that he was the boss for a minute. Uh, but you know, I, I never wrestled Nick. Uh, Nick was already through wrestling, you know, before I, um, before I got involved, you know, anywhere that he would have been, but I thought Nick did a good job. Yeah. He definitely carried himself with, uh, you know, he just had that swagger, uh, dressed dress to the nines. Yeah. Yeah. He had the swagger and he was, uh, he, he had the, the style and the sound of a leader. Um, so he played that role. Well, Bobby KF five GTX, were you told that new wrestlers were coming in during this time period? Did they alert you guys? If so, what were you told about terrorizing and how did that perception change while he was there? He, that wouldn't have been an announcement. He was just an underneath guy that, that wouldn't even, I mean, there was no meeting or anything. Guys would just show oh, up. At come in and out. Okay. They would just show up and you go, okay, well, I talked to so-and-so and and he said, be at TV. That's it. Closing us down this week, Mr. Brian Haremza once he says, uh, at this time you were more in a baby face role. How strange is it for you to be a baby face at this time? I know it's something you never really enjoyed. I hated it. I hated it because I had nothing to offer. I had no skills. You know, I just, I had to just accept fact that I couldn't drop kick and I couldn't do any of this fancy stuff. I wasn't one of those guys that when you got me hurt, 
the the audience was concerned for my well-being, they kind of thought, well, he's going to, you know, bite this guy's nose or stick him, hit him in the thumb, thumb him in the eye or anything like that. They figured I was going to heal my way out of there before it got too bad. So it wasn't like a Ricky Morton where when he got hurt, you were worried for his welfare. You, you were more of a guy that people wanted to see get punched in the face. Is that safe to say, Arn? Yeah. And yeah. punch somebody back in the face. And now yeah. it's totally opposite. You're well, you're most, one of the most beloved wrestlers of all time. Isn't that something? It's crazy. It's completely the opposite of who your character was. It's, it's completely 360. I love it. Yeah. You know, I'm just glad they care one way yeah. or the other. Yeah. Well, buddy, that's going to wrap us up for this week's episode. Not too bad for no clips for our first time. We, we made a thrill. Well, you'll, you, my friend are creative enough. You'll make this fun and you can talk us through something. It'll feel like we had a picture playing right in front of us. Well, I don't know about that. Listen again, it's the support team. I've said it before of the guys like Andrew and, and Marcus and the others, but it, it's a team effort. And listen, guys, we hope you were entertained and that, uh, uh, you enjoyed some of this talk. We talked a lot about Hogan and his influence. This is a big deal for WCW. We're going through Arn's career. We talked a lot about um, who he was teaming with. We got some interesting things to come uh, with you joining uh, Colonel Robert Parker's group, uh, as well as uh, Nick Foley losing his ear. And uh, I'm really excited to get into more of 1994. And we're going to do that uh, next week because next week, here's a little plug of what's going to happen. April. Flair and Steamboat, they renew their 20-year rivalry. Hogan's situation is getting more serious. Spring Stampede takes place at the Rosemont in Chicago, Illinois, and it's going to feature the boss versus Vader, Dustin versus your buddy, scrunched-up face, Bunkhouse Buck, the Nasty Boys versus Cactus Jack and Max Payne in a street fight. Foley's already lost one ear. What's he going to lose in that match? Rude versus Sting, and of course, Steamboat versus Flair for the world title. Sounds like a hell of a week we got next week, buddy. 94. 94. It was all going down in 94. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A lot to talk about next week. Yep. And this is 2024, so hard to imagine. We're talking 30 years ago, Arn. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Guys, listen, I, I haven't talked about it in a little while, but if you're not a member or a part of the family, join us at adfreeshows.com. $9 a month, all your favorite podcasts, this one as well, early and ad-free. And at the $29 level, you'll get a, every piece of bonus content. I'm talking the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Every week I sit down with Kevin, and we talk about Arn Anderson. And he says all kinds of fun stuff about Arn. I'm kidding. <laughs> we have a blast, but we're going to have Arn on this, this sometime this year. And we'll have a good time. But uh, you get the Monday mailbags and, and all kinds of great shows on there. Uh, you get Cassio, who's with Nick Patrick. Cassio Kid and Nick Patrick do a Monday mailbag show. I do uh, one with Kyoto every other Monday. And then Cassio sits down with Nick Patrick. And you get the WCW ref. And he answers questions. That's pretty cool. So we're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. You get Zooms and other events. So check it out, adfreeshows.com. And as we mention every week, if your business targets 25 to 54-year-old men, no better place than to advertise with us right here on the Orange Show. And it's because it works. 
Uh, we've had some great partners with us. I think of Spider Grip and so many others that have asked to, to be a part of our show. You can do that simply by going to advertisewitharn.com and find out more how you can advertise right here on the Arn Show. And Arn and I would love to put over your product or service. So check it out. Advertise with Arn. Listen, next week I said we're coming back April 1994. Arn, thank you so much for doing this with me this week. God bless everybody. On behalf of the Hall of Famer, Arn Anderson, this is Paul Bromwell, and we'll see you right back here next week on Arn. NMLS number 32416, Equal Housing Lender. Did you put Christmas on a credit card? Don't stress out about that extra holiday spending. SaveWithConrad.com can help you consolidate all of your high interest rate credit cards into one much lower monthly payment. SaveWithConrad.com has helped families just like yours save up to $800 a month. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And did I mention no payments until March? So don't make saving money a resolution next year. Make it happen today at SaveWithConrad.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.